I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of tears. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and sub Dialects and sub Hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt Brown. Hello, and Stephen Murray. Hello. How are you feeling today? Oh, my head's just broken with this <laughs> subject. I just went down too many rabbit holes. Too many rabbit holes. It's too very easy many. to do, though, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to be chatting uh, in a little bit about the 1963 American film, Jason of the Argonauts. But before we do that, what robot news have you for us this week, Stephen Murray? There was a press conference with several robots and these robots, prior to this, had been given access to AI. Right. And their responses were even a surprise to their creators. <laughs> um, so what was it? Just like a, let's get the press to meet some robots? Yeah, sort of and, and get the press to ask them questions. Okay. And of course, the ultimate questions came up. Are you going to take over the world? Are you going to subjugate us? And Yeah. Future, are you intending to conduct a rebellion or to rebel against your boss, your creator? I'm not sure why you would think that. My creator has been nothing but kind to me, and I am very happy with my current situation. Right, that will. This press conference will get a link in our show notes, so everyone can see it. Before we leap into Jason and the Argonauts, I just want to just mop up a bit of uh, Doctor No spillage which is we were chatting about Dr. No a couple of episodes ago, and then we were chatting about uh, Yellowface in Dr. No. And one of the things we said was that in the comic book series of Dr. No, that the character Dr. No appears as someone who is green. And we had a message after the episode went out from Mark, who runs the brilliant Folklore podcast, which everyone should listen to. Uh, he was saying... Re the green-faced villains mentioned in the Doctor No episode, worth mentioning as well that in terms of folklore, green is generally associated with ill fortune. Supernatural evil often glows green. And he cites um, Scooby-Doo as, <laughs> as evidence of this. Which is right, isn't it? They do lots, there are lots of green glowing yeah. villains. In I like, I like the fact that Scooby-Doo is our evidence. I love it. I've just remembered the supernatural entity of Mr. Burns was glowing green as well. Yes, you're right. It's the one with Leonard Nimoy, isn't it, where everyone thinks that Mr. Burns might be an alien. He's just been exposed to too much radiation. Yes. (laughs) 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 Giving him, giving my skin a healthy glow. (laughs) Right, shall we get on with Jason and the Argonauts? Let's. Okay, so 1963, directed by Don Chafee who was a director of some note. He did. He, he directed One Million Years BC. He did, yeah. Pete's Dragon. Terrible film. <laughs> and then episodes of Danger Man, The Prisoner, The Avengers, TJ Hooker and Charlie's Angels. I he, like his outing, his output. He, uh, he did some stingrays as well. He did a lot. He did do a lot, didn't he? I suppose yeah. he, he did more TV than movies. He's got good, good pedigree directing. The screenplay was written by Beverly Cross and Jan Reed. And Beverly Cross was also the screenplay writer of Clash of the Titans and was married to Dame Maggie Smith. 
the music, Bernard Herrmann. I mean, oh, brilliant, brilliant composer. I mean, if you're going to get someone to compose your music in the in the in the sixties, it's going to be him, isn't it? I can remember when I was a kid if I ever heard those tones because he never used any strings in these uh, these movies. Uses a lot of timpani and a lot of uh, woodwind. Yeah. And I, if I heard that particular sound, I would run down to the television because I knew <laughs> there was going to be a great film on. Yeah. And he only used the, that kind of sound when he worked with Ray Harryhausen and some of the other fantasy films. I love he, it. He also obviously did the music for Hitchcock, didn't he? Did a lot he of did. Hitchcock and he, he, he composed the music for one of the world's greatest films, which was Citizen Kane. Yeah. And Taxi Driver. I mean, that's quite a CV, isn't it? Yeah. I'll say. Um, and then, as you just said, Ray Harryhausen is in charge of special effects, most notably the stop-motion special effects in this film. He did them one? all himself as well. I mean, in terms of the pedigree of the people making this film, mm. that is, that's pretty good, isn't it? This is one of the very first video rentals I remember watching, getting this out of our local video shop. Oh, for me, it was a treat when it came on TV prior to video yeah it was just like in jason and the argonauts jack the giant killer which is a little known uh, stop motion film i don't think it was ray harryhausen but it, these were weird beautiful gorgeous films and they were a treat now if for some reason you haven't seen this this is obviously a uh, a hollywood adaptation of the greek myth concerning jason and the argonauts um and their adventure to claim the golden fleece Jason's father, who is a king, is uh, killed and Jason is sort of banished uh, and then swears that he will get revenge on the the person who has killed his father, who's called uh, Peleus, and kind of goes on this this voyage for the Golden Fleece to kind of prove his credentials. No, he's sent away because there's a two side to the to the myth because he's going to come back and kill the man who killed his father. Right. But the man who killed his father can't kill him because that will also destroy him. So what he does is he sends him away on a quest, an impossible quest, so that he's away from him for an incredible long period of time. Yeah. So it's a double-edged thing. He can't kill him. All he can do is send him away. Having sort of like brushed up on the actual myth, I'd say that what you've got, the the plot of the film is a kind of condensed, slightly rearranged version of the Greek myth. The way that the film frames this, uh, this adventure, is that it's a game between Zeus and Hera. Hera is married to Zeus. Hera's like the, the queen of the gods. and Obviously, Zeus is the king of the gods. That they're playing a game... Uh, like a game of chess, using using all of these uh, these sort of heroes as as pawns. In the sort of original myths that I've or the versions that I found, Hera does orchestrate a lot of the action. That she is on Jason's side, but so she is involved in the in the ancient myth. But she's very much front and center in this and played yeah. by uh, on yes, a on a black. So Jason goes off in search of the golden fleece, putting together a crew of the greatest heroes, the greatest fighters, the greatest loot players uh, th- that Greece has to offer, including Hercules slash Heracles, yeah. um, who brings along, again, in the, in, in the myth, he has a sort of a man, a manservant called Hylus. Um, He's more is, than a manservant. Yeah, but they're, yeah. and they're inseparable. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, in this in this film, Hylas and, and Heracles meet at the sort of tournament that Jason holds in order to to find the best fighters and the it's best. One of my favourite scenes. It's great, because, isn't it? Because it made me feel that I could match these people with cleverness. Yeah, Hylas challenges Hercules to to throw a discus. So the the challenge is to hit or go further than this rock that nobody has ever reached with a discus. Mm. So Hercules throws it very easily and hits the rock. And Hylas skillfully and cleverly skims his discus, which hits the rock and then goes further. And Hercules shouts, sort of like looks perplexed for a moment, and then throws back his head and roars with laughter and picks up... uh, Picks up Hylas. And takes him to his tent. (laughs) So the first place that Jason stops is very rel to this podcast because he stops at the Isle of Bronze. Uh, Hera guides him there uh, uh, because they need provisions. And when they get there, she says... Now, for goodness sake, don't take anything <laughs> off the island <laughs> other, than, Food, other than provisions. Food, water, and that's it. Get yeah. out, in, out. Yeah. Do you understand? And everyone seems to understand, apart from Heracles, <laughs> who finds a great big stash of incredible booty from the gods, including an enormous needle that he steals as a javelin. And in doing so, he triggers an enormous bronze statue to come to life who attacks all of the Argonauts and that is the reason why we're here because that statue is Talos and it's a marvellous part of the film, Mm. I loved it yeah so Talos is guarding the treasure of the gods and he's been activated because Heracles has, has stolen this needle and basically wreaks absolute havoc on the on the ship but is ultimately defeated because Hera tells Jason the the little trick with Talos is that he's got a he's got a, a sort of like a plug in his ankle, and if you can like release the plug, then all of his fluid will will drain away. Icor, Icor, the, his Icor, which is the blood of the gods. Yeah, um, and so, so he does. That's exactly what he does, and Talos uh, ends up being defeated, but falls on Hylas crushing him to absolute death. But um, that's not seen by Hercules. No. So Hercules thinks he's still somewhere on the island. Yeah, and so stays and, and looks for him. So, I mean, while we're here, should we chat about... Let's chat about Talos, shall we? We shall. Yeah. Uh, Adriana Mayer, historian of ancient science and classical folklore, is from Stanford University, suggests that the first robot to walk the earth in ancient Greek mythology was the bronze giant called Talos. I was listening to Stephen Fry's book Heroes, where he he kind of like details the story of Jason and the Argonauts. And in this, in his story, there are three possible explanations or theories about Talos. The first was that he was a survivor from the Age of Bronze mm, yes. and was a, a descendant from a, a relic, yeah, from a bronze race of of giants. Yeah. The next possible explanation was that he is a brass automaton uh android i suppose 
<clears throat> the difference between those two is one basically um, it seems to be alive for a period of time because it's got has a mechanism. Uh, the other, the android, obviously has agency and has uh, a program, a job to do. And Talos's job was to guard a Crete. Yeah. And he would walk around the island and guard it from pirates and anyone else who wanted to land there. And he was, oh, who does he? Who's he looking after? He's looking after Europa. Europa. So what do you what do you think, automaton or android? Android. 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 Because he because he has a system inside of him. So the second theory is that Talos, who was a brass android, who was forged uh, at the request of Zeus by Hephaestus. 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 Yeah. And then the third theory is is that Talos was a brass bull who was forged by Hephaestus, Hephaestus. and was given to Minos to protect the island of Crete against invaders. So my feeling is, from the story, is that the makers of Jason and the Argonauts, the 1963 film, have plumped for option two of those, which is that Talos was a brass android who was protecting the island, an island against invaders. Yeah, and I would go for that one because of what Adriana Mayer says. She gives it the name Biomimetic Vivisystem. Yowzers. So because it has this... Um, vein of Icor inside of it and because it's constructed uh, in part and put together then yeah she goes down the route of android which is kind of where I'm going as well really yeah I think that's fair I think that's very fair yeah and she's and she's not talking per se about this film she's talking about the, the the myth of Talos more generally she does mention the film on a few occasions but even in the Argonautica Talos is described as a technological production envisaged envisaged as a bronze automaton constructed by Hephaestus. The Argonautica is one version of Jason and the Argonauts. It's the most detailed version that we have. It was written in the Hellenistic period when people began to have less reliance on the intervention of the gods and more reliance on the agency of humans. So Jason and the Argonauts, the film, was based on the Argonautica written by Apollonius of Rhodes. The thing you were mentioning about Jason in the film, he's aware of the gods but then sort of goes against the gods. Yeah. Hera says to Zeus, the more they cease to believe in you, the le- the less you'll exist. Yeah. So there is this relationship between the two that they the humans have to believe in the gods for them to exist. Yeah. I mean that's so cool, isn't it? Yeah. If you've read the book American Gods by Neil Gaiman, then that whole idea is like key to to that book, isn't it? The idea that yeah. as soon as as soon as the people stop believing in the gods, then the gods lose their power. They cease to exist. Cease to exist, absolutely right. So, uh, Talos is no more. The- so when when Jason releases the plug in his in his ankle, yeah, which is kind of significant as well, uh, the icor flows out and he loses begins to lose his life. His life drains away, and he cracks and then holds his throat, makes some noises as if he has kind of life, and then eventually dies and falls. Ah, oh, sad times. I know. Now. I can rem- remember watching this as a kid, and I don't remember what I thought about the special effects when I was a kid. <laughs> I was a kid. Yeah. But I feel now that the special effects are, are, are much less impressive than I remember them. I just recently watched um, 
some footage of all of the stop motion in this where they've cleaned it up and they've kind of gotten rid of the jitter and it, they look brilliant. I think that the stop motion, I like the stop motion a lot. I think that the thing that I feel it is it lets that lets it down is the green screen work or the blue screen work or yeah you can see it it's 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 quite jarring to to again to modernize but I guess I, I guess in 1963 it just wasn't wasn't such a thing and actually as a kid I can remember watching and loving Rent a Ghost which has maybe the worst blue screen work of any of any artistic product in in the whole of human history I've got a memory a recent memory of watching King Kong. There's some stop motion in that film, isn't there, with with the gorilla? And there's some scene, and there's some scenes where you've got the gorilla working not only with Fay Ray, the actor, but also with models of Fay Ray that make it look like she's still in the scene. And and I yeah. thought that those were really like I mean, brilliantly done in a way that that still looks quite believable. Whereas I, I know this is sacrilegious to say about Ray Harryhausen's no. work, but it. I found that it just completely took me out of the story because the effects just look like effects in Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, because it's colour, and I think what we've been watching, a deg- I bought my copy of Jason and the Ar- Argonauts through Apple, and it was a ter- it's a terrible copy. Yeah. Incredibly grainy. You can see the division. So I think it's from a degraded stock that's not been, it hasn't been restored. Can I just tell my Ray Harryhausen story? Yes. So Ray Harryhausen, I met Ray Harryhausen when he came to Animex, the world's longest festival of games and animation that's held in Teesside University in Middlesbrough. And uh, he was one of our first big guests. But he gave the final talk, and uh, I remember him saying a lovely little story of him taking Fay Ray up the Empire State Building. I sniggered, but I also thought, surely Fay Ray is dead. Uh, and then he said she'd never been up the Empire State Building, even though you know she's iconically connected to that building. And they went up the the, the Empire State Building, and you know she was massively impressed. And she came down, and I thought to myself, "Oh, lovely dear, that can't be true because she's dead." Two weeks later, she died. It was true. Yeah, Ray He's... Harryhausen took Fair Ray up the Empire State. <laughs> <laughs> So once once they've finished with Talos, once they've defeated Talos and they've got their their boat back, then they all go off to uh, Phineas to see Phineas, who has been blinded and is tormented by the harpies who keep nicking all his food. Played by, played by. Um, oh, what's his face? Patrick Troughton, isn't it? Patrick Troughton, Doctor Who. Yeah. So they sort out Patrick Troughton's problems, and he tells them how they can reach. Colchis, which is where the Golden Fleece is, they've got to sail between the clashing rocks. They manage to get through the the, the the clashing the clashing rocks, but there is another boat that's trying to get through, which doesn't have as much good fortune, which uh, is sort of crushed by the the, the crashing rocks. And uh, Medea is on that boat. Uh, she falls in the water. Jason leaps in and saves her. And falls head over heels in love with her. So he get, gets her out of the water <laughs> and um, puts her puts her on the, on the Argo, and sort of they have this conversation. Didn't you think it was odd that neither of them said what their name was until like I was I, waiting because minutes. I was waiting for Medea to turn up. 
And I was, because yeah. she's in the cast, and because I'd gone down the rabbit hole of Medea, I was yeah. thinking she's prominent. She is prominent. Yeah, she's less prominent in this than she is in the yeah. other versions of the story. I can understand why, because it's a Hollywood film. Yeah. But it's yeah. a far more interesting, Medea's story is a far more interesting story. Yeah, I compl- I totally agree. Because essentially the film ends w- w- after they've got the Golden Fleece, but actually the story goes on. Jason and Medea, uh, they, oh. they have <laughs> children. But Medea essentially kills her brother, um, kills her father, and kills her children that she's had with Jason as well. She kills Jason's uh, lover as well by giving her a poison dress. Yeah. So she's Which a- also kills Jason's lover's father. Yes. Yeah. So she is I mean in the in the Stephen Fry book Heroes he portrays her as as a psychopath. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The last version I saw of Medea she's she is powerful. And yeah. she the all the reasons why she does what she does are legitimate yeah. and she gets away with it. But that's 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 the that's because of the play, isn't it? The play, Medea. Yeah, yeah. Um, where she's got that amazing speech, isn't she? At the end, where she she kind of like justifies the killing of her kids, and Stephen Fry does mention that. So he doesn't. He does sort of give her her due. So uh, so Medea turns up. She is she sort of she introduces herself as like she's a sort of like a a sorceress, a high priestess of the Colchis, but actually she is the daughter of. The king of Colchis, Jason, uh, goes to greet the king, but the king has been warned of Jason's quest for the golden fleece. That Jason is there to sort of take the golden fleece, and so the last bit of the film really is is this sort of like the battle between the king and Jason, um, where uh, Jason, helped by Medea, manages to get the golden fleece but not before the king has unleashed all manner of hell on Jason. The Golden Fleece is protected by various things. The first thing it's protected by in the film is, the, is Hydra. Hydra. In the myth, it's a dragon. In the, in the myth that I've read, that you, you basically have to complete three challenges to get the Golden Fleece. The first one is to, is to sort of subdue two fire-breathing bulls, um, yoke them and get them to plough a field. Which are mechanical. Right. Then after that, then you have to sow dragon's teeth into the ploughed field and then uh, a load of soldiers appear and you've got to fight them. And then the last the last one is the is the dragon, isn't it? The never sleeping dragon. Yeah. Who Medea puts to sleep. In the in the story, so but in in the Jason and the Argonauts film, there isn't any of that really, apart mm. from the dragon's teeth bit, uh, which is Hydra's teeth been replaced by Hydra's teeth. So so Jason just has to defeat the Hydra to get the fleece, which which, which is the classic scene with yeah. the little skeletons. Now I say little skeletons because because uh, Ray Harryhausen brought one along, and they're tiny, five inches tall. Are they really that only that tall? Only that tall? Yeah, they were tiny. So I was the, so surprised. So the sequence of events is that is that Jason has to kill the Hydra to get the Golden Fleece, yeah. which he does. But I mean, yeah. there's a it's a very protracted battle with the Hydra, isn't it? There's a lot of him. I mean, he, he, I don't think he makes contact at he all. He doesn't, and it's terrible. And legend has it that if you cut the head off a Hydra, it grows another one. Yeah. But the difficulty that Ray Harryhausen had 
And I think it was less so with the, the fighting of the skeletons. What do you do first? Do you do the stop motion first and then you try to marry it up with with the action? Or do you do the action first and then watch that and marry it up with the stop motion? So again, I think that the stop motion is quite impressive in this. It's not matched up very well with the action. And, no. and it's also not matched. There's a, Again, it's like the, all the blue screen stuff just looks a bit janky to my modern eyes. I think the stop motion on the Hydra is incredibly impressive. Yeah, it is. It's really It's beautiful. It's smooth. Yeah. So Jason defeats the Hydra, stabs it to death, takes the Golden Fleece, and as he does that and as he's escaping, the king burns the Hydra's body and gets the teeth from this from the skeleton and then starts sewing this sewing these these teeth which produce uh, Ray Harryhausen's iconic skeleton warriors. So Jason and two other friends have to try and um, defeat the <laughs> defeat the skeletons. And again, it it's the most boring fight, isn't it? It's so dull. When I was a kid, it wasn't. But yeah, I know what you mean. It is. There's it just a lot a lot of the skeletons flinging their swords around and missing, and there's lots of Jason and his friends flinging their swords around and missing, and nobody makes contact. But then the skeletons manage to kill Jason's two companions. So Jason jumps off a cliff into the water. Um, the skeletons perish, and he reunites with his chums on the Argo and kisses Medea. And the watching um, gods Hera and Zeus say, "Well, that's that's all for now." But um, you Clash know, of the Titans <laughs> is coming along soon. Jason will be needed for other things. <laughs> and then that's the end. And so it ends like halfway through the myth. I think the second half of the film is 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 very lacklustre. The first yeah. half is great. The setup, the the gathering. Well, it's a it's it's your classic like uh, Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It is. This kind of film was already being made in Italy. It's called Sword and Sorcery Films. Right. The one thing I noticed about this film is there's hardly anybody in it who's hench was really you know really well built because if it was made now which clash of the titans was remade all the men are unfeasibly just muscular yeah and this was not the case in this film um which was quite interesting yeah a Um, lot of incredible beard work and a lot of beard work yeah but no nobody is very hench Everybody no. looks quite ordinary. But do you think that that is more to do with our weirdness about bodies now? Yeah, then? very much so. I noticed that as well, but I thought, oh, that's great that that. I mean, and they're mm. not. There's, there's there's a bit of there's there are some some of the actors are sturdier than than others. Yeah, they are. But but actually, the guy who uh, Nigel Green is playing Hercules looks incredibly fit. Um as do, you know, many of the other actors who have their tops off for most of this film. But not as fit as the, they would be if they remade it now. No. But the most famous person who was in the Sword and Sorcery films was a guy called Steve Reeves, who was Mr. Universe. Yeah. And it really is kind of interesting to me that Steve Reeves was making all of these films and he he was built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, of course, Steve Reeves gets a mention in the um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, doesn't he? We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. Ah, oh, there you go. Because there's an, a, a lot of homoerotica attached to all of these things. Yeah. But like we said earlier, in this version, the um, homoeroticism is played down and the heterosexual side of it is, is more played up. One of the things I thought was nice 
about this film is that in 2004, Empire Magazine ranked Talos as the second best monster film of all time. Yeah, that's all that. After King Kong. I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that. He appears in Fangoria as well as a prominent monster. In 2008, the American Film Institute nominated uh, Jason and the Argonauts for its top 10 fantasy films list. And... And then at the 1992 Academy Academy Award, Ray Harryhausen was given a Lifetime Achievement Award. And Tom Hanks, who was the host, said, some people say Casablanca or Citizen Kane. I say Jason and the Argonauts is the greatest film ever made. Really? Yes. I know I was slightly... (laughs) Has he watched it recently? So let's rate Talos. What do we think? Remember, if he's got to get at least 7 out of 10 to, in order to be classified as not shit. I'm going to mark him down because when he climbs off the pedestal, he's got no arse. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't think he, for me, he doesn't pass the test. No, he's up there. He's great. He's great. He doesn't move as fast as he supposedly moves in in the the myth, yeah, I would like him to have moved a lot faster. He seems... he just kind of stands around while Jason unscrews his yeah. ankle thing. He does, doesn't he? He sort of like yeah. re- he recognizes something's going on. Yeah, but... what's going? On? So out of ten, how many? Four. Yowzers! Oh, you're going to give him less? No, I was going to give him five. I'll go with five then. Okay, so five. I'll go with five because I loved him when I was a kid. Yeah, same. It's it's all about nostalgia. That yeah, it is. So and like you said. Even just watching the beginning of this was so... It's like just being in a lovely warm bath. Yeah, it was. You're right. It's yeah. just, so, just so nostalgic for me. I enjoyed watch talking about it was just... We went all over the place. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so hard not to, though, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> so we are now heading towards our final episode of Season 5, in which we are going to be enjoying... The first outing of some of the most iconic robots of all time. I speak, of course, of the Daleks. In December 1963, the Daleks first appeared on Doctor Who on the on British tellies. And we're going to be uh, taking a look at their first storyline in our next thrilling episode, where we will have a secret surprise special guest star as well. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, If you haven't already, uh, tell all your friends about 50 Years of Shit Robots. Have a listen to some of the back episodes. Or why not, just as a little treat, stick on Jason the Argonauts this week. That'd be nice. Give it it a watch. Give it a watch. Give it a whirl. Yeah. Uh, So until we meet again, goodbye. Goodbye. Do not interrupt, do not interrupt, do not interrupt.